0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 201 for Monday, July 11th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as PixelRiffs, and joining me as always is the big dog, Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel.
1: Hey, I see what you did there. And if you would like to hear a little bit more about our favorite breed of four-legged friend and golf then you should listen to the render distance which is the extended version of the podcast you can get that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks patrons this week will also have a chance to listen to the quarterly hangout that was recorded this weekend that was published this morning to the patron only rss feed that's where johnny and i go over the stats and figures from the podcast over the last quarter Today, we welcome James Turner to the show. James is a producer, content creator, and all-around talented guy for Loading Ready Run. You can find that at loadingreadyrun.com. It's a group of gamers and entertainers who make online content for all corners of gaming. You might be familiar with James and the annual charity marathon Desert Bus for Hope and their Magic the Gathering coverage or just gaming live streams. As a Minecraft podcast, though, we know James best for his Twitch streams at twitch.tv slash James underscore LRR, where he is usually found in Minecraft, systematically mining out 16 by 16 chunks down to bedrock. James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, congratulations on episode 200 last week. That's
2: a heck of an achievement.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, it's always uh, always a pleasure to kick off the next uh, 100 episodes with, with a guest to have on the show. And yeah, having followed your antics on Twitch for a little while, it seemed like the perfect time to have you join us. Uh, so typically when we start these shows, we like to do a quick login and let people know what's new in our Minecraft lives. And whenever we have a guest, we like to let the guest go first. So uh, what's new in the pit? What's
2: new in the pit? Well, I recently finished, I think, chunk number 20 in my current world um but we can talk more about that a little bit later um in terms of uh actually something that isn't punching chunks um obviously with 119 we've got the the mangrove swamps uh but by nature of how i do my show and and punch chunks i'm very stationary i'm in one spot and i was in that spot when 118 came out so i've been trying to bring a little bit of the the mangrove swamp to my area uh, at the end of every one of my live streams I, I generally go fishing for a few minutes I don't know why it's just tradition at this point point. Um, and I wanted to to you know spruce up the fishing area a little bit so I've kind of been making my own mangrove swamp pond fishing hut area uh, and uh, it's been fun playing around with all the new blocks the mud the uh, the trees the new woods and I've been just trying to put something together that you know I can go to at the end of the stream
0: and and relax and fish in peace and it's been really good I I love those little traditions especially when they start developing as like part of audience interaction on a stream or just like just something you felt like doing and it just becomes like a community thing and people almost they expect it to happen to the point where they're disappointed if you don't have time for it or something yeah and there are there are
2: definitely days when I'm I log off and I'm like oh god I didn't fish And then I'll get (laughs) a message on Twitter or or on Discord being like, yo, you forgot the fishing part. And I'm like, oh, no. All right, well, I'll fish (laughs) fish twice as
0: long tomorrow, I promise. Oh, that's so great! That's so great when people when people are in on the joke, especially like it's it's so much better. But are there any like uh, standout things for you about one nineteen? Are there any features that you're like still itching to try, or anything that you're particularly impressed by? Now you've had a chance to uh, go out and find some of that stuff.
2: So yeah, I, I recently uh, punched my way through an ancient city, which was a lot of fun. Um, oh yeah. it was actually the tallest chunk that I've ever done. I started up at about one sixty, one seventy went all the way down to, to minus 64. Um, and that was a blast. And I got to explore the the city a little bit. And I they I, I think without question, they kind of nailed that entire experience of the warden and the city and sneaking around. Um, I, I just think it's such a fantastic addition to the game. Um, legitimately actually kind of terrifying. Like I have to believe <laughs> that a lot of kids have been a lot more scared of this game over the oh, last yes. couple of weeks than in the last 10 years. Um, but that's been great. Um, I really love the new mangrove uh, swamps. I think they look fantastic. And the only thing that I haven't really played with on my world is the Um I don't have one yet. I haven't gone out and looked for one. Um, I don't quite know how I would incorporate it into my workflow yet. But even just having a cute little blue flying friend around my base would probably not be the worst. So that's kind of high on my list for the next couple weeks as something for me to to finally go out and explore and and try to
0: find i have a ton of allays like hanging out outside of a woodland mansion that i ended up finding from new chunks in my long-term survival world and it had about 16 allays because they're they're all just like you know in pairs in the little cell blocks that you sometimes get in woodland mansions and so i have a bunch of them tied up outside of there because it's so far away from my spawn base that i haven't been able to like bring them back home so i kind of i kind of wish that i could like mail them to you somehow <laughs> like if that was if that was at all possible because they're, they're fun to use
2: yeah i know a friend who plays on the server as well has found some and and in, is in a similar situation where they have them kind of tied up where they found them uh and haven't actually brought them home yet and i think either i'll probably nick one of those or uh maybe wait for for 119 one to come out uh which will you
0: know allow us to uh, duplicate which would be kind of cool yeah Mm-hmm. More on that a little bit later, I think, and we need to circle back to the ancient city chunk because yeah, I feel like that's going to be a
1: a fun bit of the discussion. Uh, Joel, what about you? How's uh, life on the Citadel? Life on the Citadel has been checking a bunch of boxes, which, as a completionist and perfectionist, is incredibly satisfying. And uh, over the last week or so, uh, I've basically finished up all of the buildings on. Uh, I want to say, as confusing as this is to say, it's the east side of the road. In the west of west hill (laughs) Uh but this this one side of the road has now got buildings that are all completed uh they are um anything ranges from like a warehouse to uh an actual little uh, alley house that was a lot of fun to build some challenges where things are like you know three by seven inside uh or or three by six and you don't have a lot of room to, to do much and also the challenge of having these alleys cut through and You want to put a building in there, but it's got two different vantage points as far as walking around in the town. And you don't want it to clash with any number of four or five buildings around it. Whereas a lot of the times you can get away with like just making sure a building doesn't clash with its neighbors. And now it's more like, well, I had to do a lot more consideration. And again, a little frustrating trying to work in some of the new uh, 119 blocks, but then ultimately having to go back after a lot of trial and error and be just like, well, it looks like it's acacia and cobblestone <laughs> for this. It looks good, mm-hmm. but I just I'm, I'm wanting to use things that are new more often uh, and and finding a, a struggle there. But um, after that, we just kind of went inside. I don't like to leave the interiors empty and hollow like a theme park. So uh, I went through and I added a bunch of stuff, including a warehouse that's attached to the candle shop that I built a couple of weeks ago. And so I made the storage for that look like it was the storage for the candle shop. So it's got like candles everywhere that are unlit. It's got like um, beehives. And uh, it's, at one point, I don't think you can see it in the screenshot. but At one point, there's even like a barrel of honey uh, in the back that looks like wax. So I kind of like a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. Uh, in there and uh, actually the loom block I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be but it just looks like the kind of thing you might see in a candle (laughs) shop whether it's sheets of wax that are filed or whether it's like something that has a lot of string on it that might be used in candle making I mean it's cutting the wicks for candles or something maybe I don't know yeah I don't know yeah but it just it does it does the trick Um, also had a lot of fun playing around with rails I'm just trying to get more stuff in these little warehouses that looks like things are just kind of piled up and and doing a trick where you build rails so they go up on top of a block and then you remove the top rail and the one that's on an angle remains on an angle and it just kind of looks like either a ladder or some sort of lattice work kind of like leaned up against the box in storage and so that was a fun little trick to kind of mess around with. Um, nice.
0: One of, the, one of the rare occasions on which you can get something in Minecraft to look diagonal as well, which, you know, true, yeah. <laughs> most of the time we kind of suspend our disbelief with stairs, but it's like that's two sets of blocks really when you look at it. So yeah, having something that's actually on a slope in Minecraft is so difficult to do. It, it adds a, a rare sense of like dynamics to the surroundings.
1: And that's what I like to do with the, the data pack that we have. We've got that Hermitcraft data pack for player heads and and mini mm-hmm. blocks and stuff. And so the Wandering Trader trades for mini blocks instead of a bunch of useless stuff. Well, useless for endgame. It's very useful if you're just starting out. But for us, it's just like, well, <laughs> we'd li- like to have more things. So I find things like a mini version of the beehive or a mini version of a chest is, is very useful because as uh, any other kind of head in the game, like a creeper head or a skeleton head you can place them on a slight angle and anything like that that you can do in minecraft that's just a little bit off of the perpendicular 90 grid that we're so often on uh, i find really kind of adds to the feeling of activity Like the feeling Mm -hmm. that someone just put it there and they put it there without too much care they weren't like lining it up perfectly (laughs) like everything else um so that that adds some some life but that area of the town is starting to feel really full which is which is nice it's uh it's a cool feeling walking around after so many weeks of like skeleton frames and having stuff be, be filled in. Um, I'm also trying to add more color uh, and definitely pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. I have added a tower to a building that didn't have one. It was just kind of a whim. We were trying to experiment. I think I had scaffolding there saying like, oh, maybe a chimney would go good here. And I turned it into a, a five by five tower and it's yellow terracotta, which is bright compared to everything else around it. And uh, it's still a work in progress. I think I like it. I I think I have some work to do in terms of bringing in some spruce wood and maybe some structure and just kind of like layers to make it just not feel like such a bright, stark kind of like change in the landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I've seen I've seen older buildings that have bright colors. Um, I'm trying to make it look like it's it's maybe painted wood or or something painted. Um, I've got this weird hang up where if I make something out of stone or terracotta in the game, it feels heavy in my head, and so if the bottom structure doesn't look like it, it can support it, it starts to mess with my sense of, you know, immersion. Uh, yep. And so I struggled for a while to come up with something on the bottom, but happy to say that I was able to use a lot of mangrove wood uh, and use it in terms of like you know, the walls of the lower part of the building, and worked in some deep slate. And so it's been it's been some fun kind of experimenting with with new blocks in in that area. Um and uh, I'm curious to see where it's gonna go. I, I'm I think texturing the, the yellow terracotta is gonna be challenging because everything else that's yellow is, is kinda odd looking or too bright. So mm-hmm. so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I feel like the the place I imagine yellow terracotta really being at home is like is not too far from home for me. In central Brighton, there's a lot of those like seaside terrace houses, and especially like along the coast as well. Like there are a lot of little kind of um, storage sheds and stuff. Little kind of um, I don't know, like little individual huts down there that are always really brightly colored. They're kind of mm. like a nice colorful landmark along the, along the coastline and a lot of pastel kind of colors in the houses and stuff. But the yellow terracotta there feels like it would fit right in there. So I'm kind of wondering, like, if I, if I wanted to build something with that, I'd probably approach it from like a more modern seaside town. It's difficult to fit into this more medieval cityscape. But I don't know, give it some time. I think it'll blend in quite nicely.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I think some layers with like um, brown blocks or wood blocks either hanging off of it or, uh, you know, in between the deep slate roof and the uh, yellow terracotta, if I can work in more like barrels or kind of like some specialty blocks, anything that looks like strapping or any kind of like structure that might help hold it up will probably go go a long way Um, on a technical note, which is a first for me. Uh, I've heard as I've been watching other content creators that you can create these things called macros for your mouse. So you can do these great AFK sessions and get lots of stuff. And as I've been wanting to get more color going on, copper is one of the blocks that does look pretty good in the medieval kind of sense of building. And so I went AFK at my zombie drowned copper farm that I built last summer. And I built using a plugin for my stream deck uh, uh, called Bar Raider a macro that allows me to swipe my swords every two seconds and then hold uh and right click to eat food every 10 seconds just in case one of the drowned has thorns on their armor and i end up taking uh-huh. damage uh yeah. this may or may not have been learned by experience of dying <laughs> uh however uh because i'm usually alone on the server and this is a, a a farm that's far away from everybody like there was no problem because like even if that was the server was you know someone was online the chunks wouldn't have been loaded anyway um, but still, like I just I wanted to get back as you know, and sort everything out. Uh, but it, it was surprisingly easy to set up. So if anybody out there has a stream deck, and you're on a Windows, it's not something that works on on a Mac. Uh, the the bar raider tool is a free plugin in the stream deck shop, uh, shop being quotation marks, because I think everything in there is free um but it it was easy to set up they have a wiki for syntax i'll leave notes uh, and, and links in the show notes this week so people that are interested can can check it out um but it was really easy it's kind of like you copy and paste the syntax for the different button swipes and there's even like pauses you can put in seconds delays for however many because you have to hold down the right click for so long in order to eat a carrot right like you can't just tap it right mm-hmm. and so that was important and uh it was i was rather proud of myself and the farm is it's a Nembon design with the reinforcement zombies turning into drowned and it works pretty well, uh, certainly slower than than it's supposed to. I've done something wrong or there's a unique situation where I'm underground and it's just not working quite as as well as it could. They tend to get gummed up and then kind of drop in in, in chunks in terms of the drowned into the killing chamber. But four stacks of copper ingots every hour is not bad, considering I'm not at the computer. Like I can actually just walk away and you know, check over my shoulder once every ninety minutes just to see it's still going. And so that that was cool. It was it was fun to kind of do that little tinker behind the scenes and, and learn something new.
0: Yeah. It's it's pretty respectable as well. Four stacks is not terrible. And like, yeah, it, it's it's the kind of thing we were talking about it before. Like if you balance that out with going and mining in like a huge vein of copper somewhere in the lower reaches of the world it's a finite resource it's going to get you stuff faster but then it's all gone and it's also time you have to be actively engaged in the task of mining whereas if you're happy going afk for stuff then uh, it works out and you get a little extra copper
1: speaking of being actively engaged what's new in your world Oh boy, Uh, on the technical
0: perspective, I leveled a Basalt Delta this week to make a froglight farm on the Empire's SMP. Ooh, Um, that sounds a lot. (laughs) it It was fun. I mean, not the entire Basalt Delta, obviously, just like enough of an area that I could build a platform to make sure that magma cubes would spawn. And to be fair, once you flatten out an area of Basalt Delta, it's actually relatively easy for cubes to spawn there compared to anywhere else because of the amount of a basalt delta that's just kind of spiky terrain there isn't really enough room for the magma cubes to spawn there so what they've done behind the scenes is really crank up the spawning like uh, the, the amount of times it tries to spawn a magma cube there so that it can spawn any at all otherwise you just see no mobs throughout the entire biome and if you spawn proof the tops of a lot of those natural formations it just explodes and there's tons of magma cubes everywhere besides that obviously when you get a big one you break it down into the smaller ones and then the smallest type you end up with you know four times as many magma cubes as you started with usually so that's been pretty straightforward to get hold of those the frog light farm works exactly the same way as the bastion one that i did the the treasure bastion one around a magma cube spawner they just jump into a pit in this case guided by an iron golem that's kind of there to draw their aggro and they fall into a field of powder snow that just breaks them down until they are no longer large enough to overlap with the powder snow hitbox which usually means they're the smallest size and then a team of frogs down there just eats them all turning them into frog lights and I have a healthy supply of lighting blocks for my server mates now. I have about two shulker boxes filled up with like a row each of the different types of frog lights and I'm now just trading them freely to people on the server who want to build with them so it's fun. It was a lot of effort initially but you know a couple of streams, uh, a nice big time lapse of that and um you know a little bit of extra technical work later i think honestly the hardest thing to do is going to all of the different biomes and breeding the frogs and then bringing them all back to one location but if you're smart about where you do that it doesn't take all that long to do um so now i've done that now i've got my technical stuff out of the way and now i have a truckload of basalt i can do a lot more building And so what I'm currently planning is a bridge over the lake at Spawn, which is about a uh, four or five hundred block wide lake um that oh. i want to build a bridge directly across um and so i've done a lot of light work and you know creative building and stuff behind the scenes to get that figured out because i want to get it right first time like a, a, a 400 block long bridge is not something i want to tear down and rebuild because i'm not happy with it so i've been doing a bit of stuff with that and uh, earlier today i actually went to get the swift sneak enchantment from an ancient city because i knew it was going to make bridging out to like place all of the blocks that much faster (laughs) because basically i'm building this thing i don't know maybe 30 blocks above the level of the lake i don't want to just fall in and have to climb back out again every time and so yeah i just want the the bridging process to go go a lot faster um so that's uh that's been the empire's side of things for me On the Survival Guide, I was taking some of the stuff I was doing with skulk farming from Empires and trying to reproduce it with a zombie spawner on Survival Guide. So previously I'd used a triple cave spider spawner, which meant, you know, quite fast but difficult to deal with the spiders and everything. It was a bit more of a painful setup. I took the lessons I'd learned from that, applied them to this one with a zombie spawner, where I thought, well, zombies can't climb the walls, how hard could it be? Turns out that the spawner I found is just low enough that when the zombies fall and i've got this thing dug out like as far as bedrock i can't really go any further they don't there's not quite enough full height there for them to die of full damage and so what i what i end up with is a bunch of zombies that are on like one hit and no other way to kill them and so i've been experimenting with a couple of different ways of eliminating them once they get down that far. A couple of people suggested having an iron golem down there to just yeet them, which was not a bad idea, but I think the way it works is that the mob has to die standing on a block, so I can't use lava because sometimes they'll bob up and down in the lava as they're taking damage, and that means they don't die on a block. I ended up using powder snow as a compromise, but then if there's a block directly above the block that the skulk is converting, sometimes it's not all that consistent, And so I I just, I'm racking my brains trying to find a better way of doing this. And I think the way I'm going to do it now is to actually have all of the mobs from the spawner caught in a water stream, still have like a bubble column that, you know, takes them up to a reasonable height where they can drop into a neighboring chamber where they're going to take all the fall damage and where the system is churning out more stone blocks to convert into skulk. So yeah, it it took a little bit of, of... figuring out and i think i i need to go back and revise it a few more times but i'm at least confident that it will work reasonably well in the the near future i just need to iron out some of the kinks in the process
1: i was looking at that in the video and one of the things that popped into my mind was the same way that people soften guardians by dropping them through a suspended lava blade Mm -hmm. have you thought of? i mean you wouldn't be able to use the the snow because of course any zombie that's on on fire would remove the snow yeah, but
0: it like it destroys the snow blocks yeah. yeah
1: but if they're on fire already wouldn't they die when they hit the ground i guess pro- depending on how how long they've been on fire
0: yeah the problem is how long they've been on fire if i put the lava high enough up it's going to disable the spawner because it creates light and with the amount of room i have i could maybe put the lava blade like six or seven blocks above the ground but then because they're falling through a liquid that limits the amount of fall damage they take so it's a balance between how much damage do they take from going through the lava and being on fire versus how much damage are they going to take on impact when they hit the ground. And where does the balance lie? And I didn't want to just go into creative world and duplicate all of the work that I'd already done and see what, and do like a bunch of testing. But testing that in survival was going to be really tedious as well. So I think I'm I'm probably just going to go with something that I know will be fairly reliable. And yeah, maybe you do a couple of off-camera tests to see if I can you know figure out a slightly better way of doing it but because oh. i was fr- i was freestyling it just based on my my existing experience and i could have sworn that there was enough full height for them to die on impact but they just they just didn't
1: and don't get me wrong i i prefer the rube goldberg style of of machine where it's like mm, yeah moving things all over the place bringing them up 40 blocks to drop them for no other reason other than it just looks cool and kills them instantly yeah. with with no uh-huh. question right a little bit of overkill goes a long way sometimes in those in those situations hopefully you can design it in a way that you can see all that you know like see them move around and drop through or wherever you you know wherever your afk point is i always like that confirmation like when you're sitting there afk with a spawner at least if you've got them zipping through a water stream next to you you're like oh okay hey, it's working like i can i can yeah. see them going so i know that it's i know that it's functioning
0: but. Yeah, and having having tinted glass to block off the spawner is so fun now because you can just create this observation window and not have to worry about lighting stuff up on the other side, which is great fun.
1: Without uh, cannibalizing any conversation later, James, do you get into any of the technical side of Minecraft in, in your gameplay?
2: Uh I, I definitely do. Um, it's definitely not to the level that um, you two are talking about right now. A lot of it is just sort of automated farms and, and whatnot to, you know, keep me alive and all that jazz. But the I, yeah, as we will get into later, the vast majority of my time is, uh, is spent digging holes. Um, and uh, I mean, you two should try it you know it's it's yeah
0: i i think having having watched a couple of your streams there's there's a lot of infrastructure behind the scenes that supports the whole digging activity though because you've got like you've got a lava farm so that you can smelt cactus so that you can get xp back to mend your tools without having to like go all the way to like an enderman grinder or something like that right so that
2: is sort of the one of the big rules is trying to keep everything as compact and and in my space as possible so yeah we've got we've got a cactus farm and we've got the smelters set up so that i can get xp from that to heal my picks and i've got my pumpkin and melon farm so that i can trade with my villagers to get emeralds so that i can make my beacons and i've got um god what else what other farms are even down there i think i have a oh i have a uh sugarcane farm and a chicken egg farm so i can make pumpkin pie because that has been my uh food of choice this season terrible idea by the way don't don't eat <laughs> pum- pumpkin pie is a terrible idea for a food source uh but that's been fun Uh, So, yeah, there is definitely that that level of technicality there as well. But it's all very simple, straightforward sort of, um, you know, passive um, farms that kind of just hide away in, in one of my chunks and give me the resources that I need to to make sure that I can
0: keep doing what I'm doing. And although the cactus you're smelting, you're trading that back to like shepherd villages. Is it the ones that buy the green dye? Yeah, off of I you? spent so... I spent a tremendous
2: amount of time getting that green dye trade because it is. It's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's three levels down the trade thing. Yeah, so uh-huh, uh-huh. there's a village nearby with about fifty shepherds just hanging out. <laughs> That's just <laughs> terrifying to visit. So F- fifty shepherds and no sheep.
0: They just look at what. What do we use? Yeah, what do we do? <laughs> like... That's so great. Uh, Let's move on into the news before we get too carried away here because we'll circle back to these discussions in a minute, I'm sure. Um, Two quick pre-releases to cover this week. Minecraft Java Edition 1.19.1 is still in the works and pre-release 3 and 4 came out this week. You can find links to the changelog in our show notes. That goes to minecraft.net where they list all of the info. And in pre-release 3, they just moved the chat scroll bar to the right of the chat window and system messages were now displayed with a grey colour indicator. A few technical changes in Pre 3, including custom servers setting their own auto-completion options for regular chat via a new network packet. The list of players on the social interaction screen now places entries for players with recently seen messages at the top of the list, presumably to facilitate easier reporting of uh, unsavory messages in the chat, and the message command chat type was split apart into message command incoming and message command outgoing. Uh, The technical changes included in pre-release 4 include that custom servers can hide player chat messages from display via a new network packet, this does not delete player chat messages from chat logs if they need to be reviewed later. Insecure chat messages logged in the server are prefixed with a not secure tag and the order of chat messages is now cryptographically verified and that would be used for validating the context of chat messages for player reports where one of the concerns about the vulnerability of this feature was that players were able to use mods or other things to insert messages out of order in the chat that would change the context of some of the messages displayed. Hopefully this seems like something that's been done to work around that potential exploit there are some bug fixes in pre-4 which include the server console not stating whether chat messages were secure or had been modified that's now been fixed along with chat commands with entity selectors being reported as this message is not secure so james i don't know how much of it you've been keeping up with i expect some of it has filtered into the chat on your stream about the uh like uh, upcoming chat reporting features that are being introduced in one nineteen point one. We won't ask you for a hot take or anything like that, but um, yeah, I assume you're at least like up to date with it. Is is it potentially putting you off updating to one nineteen point one when it comes out? Or are you more interested in like, oh, hey, we can duplicate a Lays. Let me just go ahead and do that. I mean, I, I am excited to duplicate a and let's just do that. And yeah, I mean,
2: I've definitely had conversations with some friends about the changes that they're making and... I mean, yeah, as I said, I, I don't really feel like any... I, I don't know quite enough to, to form any really solid opinions. Um, it's clear that there were some issues with the, you know, the rollout and implement, implementation, and, and they're having to sort of figure out as they go that, you know, there are some... There's going to be some pushback on this stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am generally for anything that, you know, allows for additional moderation on the internet. Um, but, um In terms of what they were proposing uh maybe a little too far um so it'll be interesting to see how they they continue to move forward with this but in general i i do like the idea of um just more moderation i think it's
0: important so especially with a game like minecraft um yeah yeah in in hindsight i think the whole thing could have been better communicated and I think the way they're trying to reframe it now is that this is effectively like an additional tool for the community. Like I think a lot of people had the concerns that like server hosts have been doing security stuff like this for a while. And like, it seems like, you know, a vote of no confidence in the fact that server hosts are you know going to try and keep their community safe. And that's really not, I think, what Mojang's angle on it is. It's much more like, like giving you additional tools to help you report stuff that you wouldn't know how to report to begin with like a lot a lot of the focus has shifted much more to like dangerous activity and you know potential harm to people in real life which again as as the the casual server host you're not necessarily going to know how to deal with um yeah regardless of people's opinion on the chat reporting feature though honestly my hope is that the changes that they're making now are still going to resolve any of the exploits in the system because that way you know even if people don't like it it'll work correctly and it will be easy enough enough for the average person to ignore and i think they've they've managed to weed out some of the concerns about like you know whether you're going to get banned for swearing on a casual conversation on a multiplayer server and like they've they've removed the emphasis and removed any mention of profanity and that kind of stuff from uh, from the the documentation about the chat reporting feature so yeah it's it's a difficult time and we're still kind of monitoring this as a situation pretty closely but like you I, I kind of think that anything that allows players to feel like they are safer and have more control over the situation is a good thing
1: i mean and i'll just say that i agree with all of what you've just said uh, both uh james and johnny so i don't have a lot to add uh i have a question that it's more rhetorical than anything but i remember when iron farms were being adjusted and how iron golem spawning was changing. And I, I do remember Mojang reaching out and speaking with the technical community about that either before or as those changes were in the, um, you know, snapshot stage. And I, I don't know whether Mojang reached out to different communities and asked them about the moderation tool or asked for input like uh, for new moderation changes. Uh, but in, in to go along the, the lines of what you said, Johnny, in terms of like in hindsight, communication could have been a little bit better. I kind of wonder whether getting out and getting some player feedback on this as a potential change would have maybe prepared people a little bit more. It would have maybe had a, a longer conversation. But then again, it's so divisive right now. Maybe they, it would just be, you know, more of the same when you get more people, you know, more people split on it in, in your pre-conversations about it, then it doesn't really necessarily help development either. So like, I, I don't know where that, you know, cookie really crumbles, but it's uh, it's an interesting idea anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I uh. think the majority of people will probably still have had a negative opinion of it, but it could have helped shape the communication of the feature so that there yeah. wasn't a massive community outcry about it. Um, but again, we're, we're talking with the benefit of hindsight here, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of difficult to say what could or couldn't have been done better at this point.
1: I mean, personally, I have yet to search for NLA on the Citadel, and I'm probably just going to wait until the new duplication feature is added so it's not such a pain in the butt to get more than one like i think once i have one or one of the one person on the server has one then we can all just kind of come together and say like look we don't want to Mm -hmm. walk all over heck and high water trying to find this let's just let's just you know utilize the new feature so i don't think anybody has really given them much thought i think mostly for us on the citadel because we're just a small tight-knit group of friends we're just mostly looking forward to the new the new features
0: yeah I, i'm I'm really looking forward to a la duplication I think on Empires we had maybe one or two people found Allays, and then I haven't gone looking for them personally but I definitely know a couple of places where they might be useful so yeah we'll uh we'll we'll see when that gets to roll into the game um let's move on to listener emails though we've got a couple to get through before we uh, have a, a good old chat about chunk punching so uh, Joel why don't you kick us off
1: certainly if you would like to email the show the address to use is sponchunkmail at gmail.com please keep them brief it's one of the best ways to kind of help your email reach the the top of the pile in terms of getting on the show uh, being concise is always helpful first email comes in from l85 shark more fantasy biomes question mark hey jj and j i just realized how convenient that is this week.
0: <laughs> Mm -hmm.
1: I was listening to some older podcast episodes around the time of the nether update and got thinking about just how weird those biomes are in the overworld. We just got a biome that was just as weird. The deep dark, the only other biome in the overworld that you kind of have to suspend your disbelief for, at least more than normal, is the Mushroom Island. What other biomes do you think we could get in the future that are more on the mystical fantastical side? Do you think these biomes belong in the overworld or do you think they belong in an end update or even a new dimension? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. L85 shark was killed by a lightning strike that turned a mushroom into a warden. (laughs) so
0: so for people unfamiliar i don't know if james you've heard these on the show before people like to sign off their emails with like minecraft death messages a lot of the time which is one of one of the more morbid habits of our fan base it (laughs) seems like but yeah we were talking earlier about like little little habits that people come up with on streams and like little routines and stuff that seems to have been the the thing
1: that stuck with our community that's awesome i love it i like the idea of a bit more fantasy in the overworld granted i think it could be challenging with biome blending on the surface so my thought process went to moving underground we have vertical biomes now they can separate biomes that are on top of each other being different so you could have a desert on top and something else completely you know underneath like a lush cave so i would imagine given all the work they just put into 118 and the new terrain changes that cave biomes would probably be kind of where they would go with this um, mushroom caves might be a bit obvious because we do have a mushroom island, but I think you could do something completely different with that. Um, crystal caves, you know, something that could be bright and colorful, something that to maybe if they if they decide to go down the route of like calcite, amethyst, and now these they've got these echo shards, and the only place we can get them right now is the uh, the ancient cities. So if there was a crystal cave that had like alternative ways to get all these different crystals, that could be kind of fun. Also, encouraging exploration, something more unique and fun and cool to discover when you're mining so rather than just hunting for diamonds maybe you're looking for specific biomes or specific blocks in these special places Um, i know we have the deep dark already And that has some bioluminescence on the go, but it's a very dark and spooky place. So I was also thinking maybe some bioluminescence in something like rainbow bright, colorful, really pleasant. Nothing meant to maim the player is around like it's more of a peaceful cave environment than one that's meant to be thwart with with danger because you're still going to get like zombies and skeletons and all that kind of stuff happening. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was kind of like my initial gut reaction to that, and I'm curious because as someone that that digs through biomes, James, whether you would have some uh, forceful opinions on on new new cave biomes or new biomes in general in the overworld. I mean, when it comes to on the
2: top side of things, you know, what's actually up on the surface, uh, not particularly, because once you get five blocks down in any biome, it's like every other biome. Um, it's, it's stone for 60 blocks and then it's deep slate for 60 blocks. So in terms of, of on the surface, uh, it doesn't sort of like drive me to, to want to go out and dig in those things. Uh, more underground stuff like you're talking about, um, mushroom caves, crystal caves. I love the idea of a crystal cave, by the way. Um, definitely interests me i think one of the coolest additions to the game in terms of the punch a chunk in recent memory was the geodes um i've actually just today um punched my way through uh, a geode so now i basically have a cross section of of what's there and it's just it's always fun to find something more than just more stone or more deep slate so uh, i would love to see more underground um underground biomes added to it i think um obviously the 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 lush caves that we have are fantastic um the uh the dripstone caves are are great the addition of the deep dark is fantastic although those are rare enough that you kind of have to specifically go out and find one which is what i did um but yeah absolutely would love to see more underground stuff anything that you know changes up again the the solid blocks that i generally find down there
0: yeah, I think caves are probably one of the only places left to put something more more fantasy unless you go completely the opposite way and you start adding like sky islands into the world. And I sort of don't know if Mojang is planning on doing that because it's such a done idea at this stage. I've I've played enough modded Minecraft that like people put sky islands whether they're biomes or just like almost like generated structure features that exist up there. I think there are like slime islands in some of the older mod packs. That exist in the sky. I think there's, there's stuff like that that has almost been done too often by other mods that they kind of think, well, that's the most obvious idea, so why would we do that at this point?
1: I think that's probably the dilemma, is adding something new and... When I was thinking of the overworld surface, because that's where I spend most of my time is on the surface, my brain went to something like Enchanted Forest, you know, thinking about the LA's that are fluttering around and how cool would it be if they had their own special biome, you know, to to exist in, especially when you see stuff uh, and models coming in from Minecraft Legends, like the yellow LA, like maybe there's more colors, maybe there's a pink one. I can think of a couple of people in our community that would be down for a pink allay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like it, it's one of those things where it's that delicate... Uh, swords Edge that you know, Johnny, you've mentioned on the show before. Where Mojang probably doesn't want to go too far to create these very fantastical special biomes when the player can create them themselves. Like if you want an enchanted forest in Minecraft, like you can build one, and that gives yeah. you a project, you know. And you're you're inspired by some of the things that you might have seen. You know how cool a, a flower forest looks. Well, what if you took a flower forest and just kind of like amped it up to the point where it's really far out there with custom flowers and trees and things like that and i can appreciate that but for someone that does want to do a cool kind of like biome makeover or something like that i'm also probably looking forward to the least is the amount of custom trees that i'll have to build yeah (laughs) to to make a fantasy forest right so it's just like well on one hand it would be nice to be like have a biome full of fantasy trees and for me to do a custom half dozen, you know, (laughs) or more, but not have everything I place has to have to be custom. So I I, I land in the middle on that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, Um, I feel like an update to the end because the end we've discussed before is such a blank canvas. I feel like that's the place where there is a lot of room for fantasy vibes. And Mm -hmm. I, I do think the end feels like it'd be more eerie than mystical from L85 Sharks email. It's like, the, the, the fantasy side of things feels very grounded in like medieval fantasy and, and if not kind of like Lord of the rings kind of stuff, then at least something of that that sort of ilk. Whereas the end feels a lot more kind of ethereal. There's the void all around you, this kind of like impending sense of doom and the fact that the only things that exist there are these pretty scary tall Endermen. I think the deep dark feels like it'd be more at home in the end. Um, so I, I do think it's, it's an interesting way to to blend stuff into content that goes further out into Minecraft's other dimensions, or even as LAD5Shark said, like, add another dimension at some stage, potentially through that uh, that portal at the center of the end cities, which incidentally is the subject of our next email. So this one comes in from SpecterVamp, and the subject is revamps, please. Hi Johnny and Joel, and James. I recently finished listening to episode 198 of the Spawn Chunks, and in the last email you guys talked about revamped features, or features that could use a revamp. Firstly, I find it kind of funny that in a recent episode of Hermitcraft, Good Times with Scar mentioned the same things you guys did about flowers and how they should be able to be placed like sea pickles, multiple in one block. It seems like a rather crazy coincidence. Maybe Scar is a listener of the show, confirmed? In terms of revamped features, the one that came to my mind is the mystery frame of reinforced deep slate inhabiting the center of ancient cities. Obviously, there isn't any need for a revamp of the ancient city, it's a fantastic experience, as Johnny, as well as myself, can attest, and I don't think of anything that could make it better. However, there's a likely portal sitting in the middle of the city. Do you think Mojang is playing the long game here, waiting for hype around the update to die down so they can announce a new update revolving around the frame in the center when they inevitably add a purpose to the frame in the middle, depending how far in the future that may be, it could reinstill a sense of hype around the ancient cities. What do you think of this theory? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Spectre Vamp lit himself on fire because he tried to light a portal that doesn't exist yet. (laughs) I think it's (laughs) one of the first things that most of us did when we saw a big portal that we were like, how do we light it? Turns out you don't, at least not yet. Um... I mean, James, when you were down there in your your ancient city chunk, did you did you get as far as the portal? Did you you ended up like running around some of the corridors for a while?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I, I the the chunk was more or less right on the doorstep of the portal, um, and I mean, it looked fantastic um, in terms of uh, that feature being added, and and Mojang playing the long game. I kind of have to think they are. Um, you know whether that long game is a year or two years or five years uh, that's obviously anyone's guess um, I don't think you make a structure that looks like that so close to a portal like what we know is a portal in Minecraft and not have an idea for like you know maybe when 1.23 comes out you know this is yeah. <laughs> where we're gonna we're gonna go back to um, I think it's sort of I I would be shocked if we don't see something from from that portal in the next, you know, three to five years kind of thing. Um, Yeah. I mean, in terms of of revamped features, um, I I am a big proponent. I've talked about this a lot on my stream about how I would love to see Mojang just focus on the game that we have already uh, for the next little while. Um, I think there is a lot of love that can be given to a lot of different areas, Um, of the game. And I think this actually even goes back to the last question um, about, you know, more mystical um, biomes and such like that. I would love to see, you know, I'm I'm excited for the, the uh, birch forest update that we, we we've seen uh, some images of. And I think that's a fantastic route to go for almost every biome in the game. Um, I think there's mystical features all over the overworld that could use love the, the desert temples, the jungle temples, Um, all that sort of stuff exists as it did, you know, five, six, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and the game that we play now is just so much more, it just has so much more detail. It's so much more immersive. Um, and there's all these features that exist, have existed for so long that I think could be brought up to significantly higher standards at this point. Um, and that would just give the game a, a completely new feel, which, which I would love. And you talked about the end, I think as, as well, that is just absolutely ripe for for an overhaul like we got with the end or like we got with the nether a few years ago um so stuff like that is kind of where i'm at when it when it comes to to revamps i think there's an opportunity for revamping i mean more or less the entire game with the exception of a few things that have sort of come out in the last couple years
0: yeah it, it kind of seems like that's their game plan in a way, like when they've talked about biomes to that we vote on collectively as a community at Minecraft Live, they've pretty much always given us like three biomes and been like, we're going to update one, and then it was only this most recent one where they had an update for swamps that was so big they thought, hey, let's introduce a whole new biome instead of just changing swamps, but... When it comes to changing, like, desert temples and jungle temples, would you want the existing structures to stay in and just have there be more variety? Or are you down for them just to go away entirely in favor of something more complex?
2: I think, I mean, I think it's important to keep the history of this game alive. Um, so I, I would love to see them just sort of brought into the modern sort of Minecraft feel. Um, I don't want to fundamentally change all of these things to something completely different, but, you know, taking what this company has learned over the last decade. And, you know, I I think of the jungle temple as a perfect example, you know, that is just such a, 2012 minecraft build you know like it (laughs) It just it just feels so old you do not get a you know what i want is a sense of of excitement when you find it you know that's that i think that's that's what they should aim for you know you 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 find the deep you find the deep dark now you're excited you find the ancient city now you excited but when you run across a you know a desert temple or a jungle temple or the underwater monuments and whatnot you're just like cool I, i i know what these are Um, But I think an uh, an update to those to sort of bring them into the the 2022 Minecraft um, would go a long way. I'd love it.
1: I think building on what you said, James, about improving the game we have right now, I think a lot of the answers are are in the game, too. Like, look at the way that bastions are constructed and the variety that you get in bastions in the nether. You could apply that same technology that same way of thinking to jungle temples to desert temples uh maybe even to ocean monuments and create i mean you're not going to have infinite possibilities but my gosh you're going to have at least you know a dozen you know or or a half dozen where you're you're not quite sure what you're going to get like are you going to stumble into an ocean monument that has four sponge rooms or is it just going to have one you know like is it going to have a spawner in it the for drowned like who knows uh, amping up the difficulty, you know, in, in that area, uh, or amping up the rewards. If you end up turning a guardians, you know, farm into also something that spawns drowned, you know, like there, there could be some, you know, time in versus reward out changes there too. And, um, for me, when I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, I was thinking in terms of as a builder, like textures and, you know, we're always, you know, clamoring for new blocks and saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had this, that, and the other thing. And one of the things that I find really useful is the mechanic around glow lichen. And I wish that they would revamp vines to operate the same way so that vines wouldn't grow infinitely just because you're in the area uh, and all the way down to the ground. It would be nice if you could then control the ones that you place and have, you know, bone meal it a couple of times. It spreads to the blocks around it. And then when it spreads to something that you don't want, you just shear it off. And then as you leave it, it will stay. And the reason for that is because glow lichen now also with the skulk uh block or i guess what is is it considered a block pixel riffs the skull
0: the skulk vein is vein. there we go yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so the skulk vein vines uh glow like and these surface blocks these very flat geometry um additions that you can add to the game create a new texture on almost every single block provided that they go fairly well and they don't clash and look terrible but like it gives you something that you can add to and create new textures uh, a lot of the time with only adding one thing to your inventory rather than adding a dozen blocks you can apply glow like into a dozen different blocks and get a dozen different looks same thing with um with sculpt veins so that's where i'm thinking is like when there's inconsistencies in how similar things operate in the game even though i know vines are kind of like this legacy thing i'd be okay with them updating those to be more like you said 2022 functional
2: yeah, sort of my mindset when it comes to updating these structures in the game, especially you know, Minecraft has for a very long time caught a lot of flack for, you know, not being particularly new user friendly. You know, there's no tutorial. Um, you get in and you don't really have an idea of what you're gonna do. And I've always pointed towards you know, villages or temples or uh, the even the wells or or any of these structures that you come across in in game as. You know, this is what is possible in this game. You know, th- this is the kind of thing that you can build. Um, if if a new player logs into a game and stumbles upon a village, then all of a sudden they have this idea of, oh, okay, I understand that I could make something like this. Um, but right now, everything just looks ten years old. Like the 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 building, it's it, the thing that blows my mind more than anything over my uh, in the last ten years when it comes to Minecraft is just how good people have gotten including you two including yourselves that i've seen at building in this game like it's just it's unreal how how intricate and how many details that you can build into this game that the average player might not know about because they're not in the game you know if your average player doesn't go and watch hermitcraft or or empires then they're not going to know about some of the 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 building you know the building styles that are out there and i think incorporating those into the structures that are already in the game um would go a long way to you know teaching players what is possible
0: yeah i think a lot of those structures just feel like they could teach players little stuff and i mean you mentioned the village wells i feel like even that is supposed to be kind of a smart way of teaching players if there is a 2 by 2 water source in an area, then you can get infinite water out of yeah. it, and that's like, you, you're you meant to simulate the activity of getting water from a well, and if you don't know that's a thing, if you've just been, I don't know, getting water from the ocean, it sort of teaches you how water physics work in a strange kind of backdoor, yep. subtle way, Yep, and maybe they could stand to be more overt about some of that stuff but we're seeing them take that approach with stuff like the ancient cities going back to the email very briefly before we move on to our main discussion here the the portal in the center has that whole redstone lab underneath it that kind of teaches you how some of the cooler stuff about redstone works it just does that you know if you either mine your way in or if you figure out the kind of cryptic puzzle to open the doors to it in the first place and it does that at the center of a structure guarded by the most fearsome mob in the game currently uh so the the gatekeeping is kind of literal and real um but i i do think there's there's potential for other structures like that and maybe that portal is a lesson as well like you i think it's too early to see anything legit happen with that portal i don't think we're going to get it in the next update i think they're gonna they're gonna take their time with it and I think it's probably the first time a structure has been added with the obvious intent of it being it's going to do something in the future, but it's still remaining a mystery for a while. Because I'm pretty sure when they added strongholds, the whole reason they added them was because they led to the end in that update. Yeah. Whereas now we have something that, you know, it's, it's spooky, it's mysterious, it's going to last us for a little while, I think. So let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, <laughs> quite literally. I, I would love to. Let's yes, figure this uh, out. Yeah, James, uh, we, we might as well start with your, your Minecraft history because, you know, we people need to understand how you started playing Minecraft and why that led to you digging chunks all the way down to bedrock. So when did you first pick up Minecraft? Was it a PC thing? Was it a console thing? What was your, your inroad into Minecraft?
2: My inroad to Minecraft would have been um, late 2010. So I started playing in the beta um mm-hmm. and i heard about it through um, the webcomic penny arcade uh, which i think at the time is how actually quite a lot of people heard about minecraft yeah. um uh-huh. i think i think their mike and jerry's uh, infatuation with that game and the comics that they created back in in the 2010s like literally 2010 while they were playing it um, drove a lot of people to that game including myself and and a couple other of my uh, a couple other friends from from the loading ready run group and yeah, I just, I, I picked it up. It probably would have been fall, my guess is like fall of 2010. And I can't remember, you know, I paid like the 9 or $10 it cost to get in at the time. And, and that's been my account ever since. And Minecraft is just one of those games that has never not been on my computer. It's It's a game that has never been my primary game you know i know that i'm sure a lot of your listeners are you know this is their primary game but for me it's always been this game that's just kind of always been at like number two or number three it was always the the game that i could i could go back to um mm-hmm. no other game has has been able to do that for as long as minecraft has for me and i would say that in the last couple of years with the with the birth of the punch a chunk it's probably put itself back into sort of a number one spot. Um, for, for content and streaming wise. Um, but yeah, it's just always sort of been this comforting thing that I've had that I could pick up and play. And I've, I've, I've done everything I've played, um, just by myself in my single player worlds. I've played on, you know, dozens of, of servers over the years with friends and family. Um, I, there was a period of time probably like four or five years ago when I was really heavy into modded Minecraft and and really enjoyed that. And then it was in 2014, that I started actually streaming Minecraft uh, over on the Loading Ready Run channel, and um, yeah, ever since then it's just sort of been been Minecraft um, as often as I can.
1: So, just to clarify, when you say punch a chunk for for folks listening that may not be familiar with your content, do you literally mean punching in the game, or are you using tools and pickaxes? And, and... I
2: am using tools and pickaxes. So. I, I I guess let's get into the the, the history of the punch a chunk um i truly cannot tell you where the idea came from um it just it it popped into my head one day it was a saturday it was i think february of 2019 uh we were at the loading ready run offices we were filming something i don't know there were more than enough people around that i wasn't needed and i figured well if you know we weren't nothing was streaming on the channel at the time. so I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm here and I, I have free time, I might as well you know make content you know such as the life of a content creator. Um, so I hopped on uh, I hopped on Minecraft, I jumped into a single player world, and I decided that I would punch a chunk from the very you know from I think I started about Y60 65 at the time, and I would just go all the way down to bedrock. Um, for funsies, because I thought it was a neat, silly idea. Um, that's that's as good as it gets. And um, at the time, uh, the rules were sort of being made up as I went. Um, you know, the big ones being like you have to dig one layer at a time. You can only use resources that you find in the chunk to be to continue your your punching. So uh, when you first get into a world, you want to find a chunk. That has a good amount of trees in it um, so that you have a, a good source of wood to make your tools. So you start with your wood and then you dig down through the dirt and you get your stone and now you can make stone tools. And then you get to the, you, you find iron and now you can make iron tools and you things start to speed up and you, you start to go make your way down. Um, and this is actually where our sort of uh, you know, official rules manager, her name is Sarah, um, she's a mod on my Twitch channel. She's a mod for Loading Ready Run. She's just a fantastic human being. And she kind of helped coalesce the rules into one spot, and we kind of made them up as we go. Those are the big ones. There are a bunch of other weird nitpicky rules that just make the challenge more of a pain in the butt for me than anything. <laughs> I, I if you I think a lot of it might I think a lot of it does stem from you mentioned at the top of the show, Desert Bus for Hope. that is a, a yearly fundraiser that we do um, and we have been doing for fifteen years now where we play arguably the world's most boring game which is called desert bus and the game is is very simple you drive a bus from tucson arizona to las vegas nevada it takes eight hours it is a game from you know 30 years ago on the sega genesis so it doesn't
0: look good it's not graphically interesting (laughs) And yeah, it it looks like a worse version of like Outrun or any yes. of the the kind of old racing games where they had to simulate objects coming at you as like flat objects going by the side of the road yep. kind of thing. So and like the the most interesting thing that happens is like a fly hits the windshield. Correct.
2: So you you make you make this drive. It takes eight hours. You get one point, and you were given the opportunity to turn around and do it again. And we've built <laughs> this entire charity empire around this game. It's it's very silly. Um, I, I I recommend you go check out the wes- website at desertbus.org. Um, It's a yearly charity thing that we do in November, and we'll be going live again this November. So uh, there's always been this history of of punishing video games um, that I've kind of enjoyed. Um, I I can pretty confidently say that I've played more Desert Bus than any other human being on the planet at this point. <laughs> Not really something I want to, you know, you know hold on to but it's there and so i've always enjoyed that sort of punishing but repetitive uh aspect of a video game um i've never been one who's played really punishing hard games that require a tremendous amount of skill i'm i for some reason my brain allows me to just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and it plays pretty nicely so we did the first punch a chunk it went really well it took me about six hours over the course of two streams uh, and then uh, from there, my buddy Surge, who is another Minecraft streamer, great guy, um, it, it decided to do it on his home channel as well. He did it. He had a lot of fun doing it. And then we decided, you know what? We could we could make this like a challenge. Like we could we could go one v one against each other. And. I think it was like March of 2019, um, we did the first annual and we named it the first annual because we're, we're idiots and we want to <laughs> as As, as sure. a commitment. Yeah, yeah, as a commitment. <laughs> it's another thing that we did with the, it, it. Actually, that is again, it stems from Desert Bus. We named the first Desert Bus, first annual Desert Bus for Hope. And like <laughs> we had no idea at the time that we would do it again. We just loved the idea of of doing that. So that's what we named the Punch Chunk. It was wildly successful on all fronts. It was... So unbelievably close that we finished within minutes of each other. And we've done it two more times since then. We've had three 1v1 Punch-A-Chunks. And all three times, it, it has been within minutes. In fact, this last one that we did a few few months ago, we finished within literally seconds of each other. Um, which is kind of incredible when you when you think about it. And uh, it's just sort of grown from there. So there's, the, there's sort of the competition Punch-A-Chunk... And then there's the continuous punch a chunk, and the continuous punch a chunk is what I do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on my channel. Um, and the rules are a lot more laxed. Um, some of the big ones are still there, one layer at a time. I don't use beacons. That's not the point. The point is not to punch the chunk as fast as possible. The point is just to kind of hang out and just and, and relax and chill and, and chat with chat and listen to music, and that's kind of my, my thing. Um, and so that's that's where i've spent the the vast majority of my minecraft time over the last two and a half years um i i started to think about the idea of doing a at the end of 2019 doing a 365 day challenge um of of punching a chunk every day for one year which is something that you know twitch is pretty well known for people love doing the 365 day challenge um, it quickly dawned on me that that would be a terrible idea for myself. I had no interest in doing it. I, I have a, a full time job already. Um, the <laughs> idea of doing this every day on top of it on my own home channel sounded miserable. So instead I picked the shortest month of the year <laughs> and, and in February of 2020 and said, okay, I'm going to punch a chunk every day. Uh, on my home channel we're going to listen to music because music is a, a a huge part of my life i love music i listen to music all the time it is probably my media format of choice um and i love introducing people to to new music um which is a big reason why i didn't do it on the loading ready run channel at the time because dmca is a whole issue and i didn't want to get that channel in trouble i didn't mind getting my own channel in trouble um so in february i started punching a chunk every day and we made it to the end of the month and I was having fun and I was like, let's keep going. We'll do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Nice and early in the morning. And and we kept going. And then three weeks
0: later, the world shut down. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I was gonna say this this feels like it has a trajectory. Yeah. It started in February of twenty twenty. Yeah. Hmm, what what happens next in the story?
2: Yeah, so so you know, mid March comes around and all of a sudden uh I'm at home. Everybody's at home. Um, and but the Punch-a-Chunk is is going to keep going and uh, it is it is no lie that that the the first year of that Punch-a-Chunk was an absolute lifesaver to my to my mental health. Um, it gave me something to do Uh, four days a week, because once I realized I was just going to be at home all the time, I added Thursday to the schedule, because why not? What else am I going to be doing at 7 a.m. in the morning? Um, So, yeah, it just became this thing that existed throughout the first year of the pandemic um, that added a tremendous amount of structure to my week. It gave me a better sleep schedule than I've ever had before in my entire life. I know for a lot of my viewers, it was uh super helpful to just have something on consistently in the morning that was relatively chill and made and i've it's been described my stream as like perfect second monitor monitor material and i take zero offense to that because that's exactly what i'm going for you know it's not a tremendously engaging experience to watch somebody just dig layer after layer after layer after layer of stone but it does allow me to be very attentive towards chat. I'm able to read every message, which is not the case when I'm streaming on Loading Ready Run and playing other games. I just don't have the capacity to read every message in chat and play the game I'm doing. So it allows me to to be incredibly attentive towards chat. We get to listen to music, which is a lot of fun. And, you know, just sort of the monotony of the, of the bricks
0: breaking, uh, I think, just sort of
2: calms people and chills them out, so...
0: Yeah, I, I was I was gonna ask like what makes the chunk punching compelling for your audience, but like you you pretty much answered that. Like I think it's it's funny how many people will turn up for something to do uh, something to listen to in the background, and usually when they're doing something similar themselves. Like, yeah. do you have many people who say that they're like digging along with you and they're doing the same thing in their own worlds? Oh, absolutely. The the number of people who have uh, sent me
2: photos of their punch chunks over the last two and a half years is wild to me like if Mm -hmm. you told me that when i did started this some people would do the same thing i would have been like absolutely of course there'd be a handful of people who did it but it's been it's well over a hundred people at this point who have you know actively tried to get out there and and punch a chunk and they have, have told me about it either via twitter or discord or whatever with photos of of what they've been working on um i just think that's really neat um there is a there is a An aspect of you know it's kind of a a, it's almost meditative and I think that's a big reason why Desert Bus holds me as well I've talked about this with people in the past about you know what is it about Desert Bus and what is it about these games that you're able to connect with in a way where you can just constantly do the same thing over and over and over again and it is absolutely a sort of a a weird my version form of of meditation which is kind of wild to
0: think about it's it's the the zen of, you know, monotonous activity in a video game. But I feel like Minecraft also lends itself really well to stuff like that because of the sound design of the game, yes. like the sound effects of like breaking and picking up blocks are something people find incredibly relaxing. Yeah, they're not like harsh sound effects at all, considering that you're using a pickaxe on stone over and over again. It's yeah. actually remarkably calming sound design.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think too that Minecraft has a curious sense of accomplishment. And you get a lot of satisfaction from either building something or in your case, digging something out. And you know, a few hours ago it was full of stuff. And now it is a sixteen by sixteen clean line straight down to, to bedrock, with perhaps, you know, some interesting things that you might run into along the way. But I I think that even though accomplishment is in kind of air quotes um, because you haven't really done anything um, per se as most people think about the game Um, the fact that it's so meditative for you I think kind of speaks to that level of satisfaction and how that affects different players with Minecraft and why Minecraft has such a widespread player bases because there are people that will just like i just want to dig like i just want to dig today maybe it's in a chunk maybe, like they just want to go caving and they just want to dig something out or you know like I, I mean i've had that when you know i want to build a farm or i want to do something underground and it requires me to move a lot of land and you just you do the calculations you go okay i need this to be 32 by 45 well, let's go and a- after just a few minutes you're just like i can't i can't give up like i have this has to be finished like i can't leave this patch unsquared like it has to be straight lines and and all that kind of stuff um i i would compare it to when i do lego streams and i and i know out the pieces and i have them all lined up by color and and, in straight lines like i find that very satisfying it's not really an accomplishment like it's just it's part of the process and i think that you know with with minecraft it's an interesting amount of feedback that you get from people that find it like an excellent second monitor experience turning into your your punch and chunk streams, because I can see that being similar to having like a YouTube white noise playlist going, you know, you're just listening to this constant dig block popping item being picked up every now and again, you know, James is coming on the mic and saying a few things talking to, you know, the, the, this Twitch audience and that in turn, I think, especially during like the early days of the pandemic is going to feel like a coworker and then an ex cubicle, you know, kind of depending on what people, you know, have for a, a work environment—it's going to feel like someone that you're in your home office with you because they're not talking to you constantly. You know, like they—they've got a thing that they're doing, like they're typing emails to other, you know, coworkers or whatever. And uh, it's just such an interesting, um, experience that Minecraft presents with that ability to just like—you don't have to build anything. You can just remove all of the things that our developers have spent months making sure appear. Precisely as they want them, with this wonderful new algorithm that changes the terrain, and you're just like, great! I'm gonna remove it now. <laughs> just, I, I love the exact opposite direction that 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 is. It's such an interesting juxtaposition.
2: Well, that is absolutely absolutely the case in terms of you know ripping land out. I will say that um, it's not the only thing I do. Um, I do build up. Uh, structures in my base around the, the the chunks that I'm punching um and I'll be sure to to share um some screenshots with um your listeners in the show notes here of what my bases have all looked like once you know all the all the chunks have been punched I will say that currently I am on season two of the punch a chunk uh which is confusingly actually the third season because season one and then season one and a half um uh, because I, again, I like naming things very stupidly. Um, <laughs> but you, you, you sort of build up a, uh, an infrastructure around the chunks that allow you. We were talking earlier about my farms that are currently in, you know, the, the first chunk I punched in, in the new season is where I built I've built all my farms in that chunk. So it's just a column of, of these farms with the cactus farm and the egg farm and the pumpkin and melon farm. And my deep storage system is down there as well. Uh, and then you sort of pick these, these patterns for the chunks that, you know, when you actually get up high and look, you know, it's, it's not just, there is beauty there, you know, there is symmetry. There's, there's, there's an experience to be had by looking at it. It's not just like, I'm just going to tear up every single block From this world until it is nothing, until I can see nothing, kind of thing. So,
0: yeah, it's a creative urge, not a destructive urge. And I think that's the most interesting thing about this is that Minecraft gives you the option of doing stuff like that. It's not like you destroy the stuff and then it's just gone. Like, you're keeping all of the resources because you have a storage area where they all go. And, like, you're on a server doing this, right? So, was there, like, there was a time at which people could come and, like, buy resources off you, basically? Was there, like, an economy of sorts on the server? So, when we boot. Up. So the
2: first season of the punch chunk was a single-player world. I just played by my by myself. Um, when, when we moved into season one and a half, we put it on a server, and I played with Surge, who I mentioned earlier. Um, but then when season two started up, um, which we started in 1.18, um, we did try to sort of recreate that, you know, the sort of classic SMP feeling that exists out there um right now that's so popular um with a bunch of friends and a couple other content creators and while they've sort it's definitely petered off over the last couple months as people have moved on to other things for the first couple months while we were on there it was very active and we did the whole shopping district thing and you better believe that i built a uh cobblestone and deep slate shop Um, because Uh boy did I have the product to move (laughs) so um, yeah (laughs) uh, it it was really fun exploring that aspect of the game because you know I've been playing for for 10 years 12 years now um, and I've been enjoying content such as Empire such as Hermitcraft and and seeing what a community can come together and do and when there's like an actual in-game economy I think it's really neat so being able to experience that for for the start of this season of the punch chunk
0: was really kind of fun, actually. Um, you, you said that season started in 118, it so did. obviously, like it, it started fresh. But my my main question, and I think you've probably been asked this so many times around the time it happened, but you you've started doing this in 2020, and by that point we don't, there's been like a community rumble about like, Hey, we want a cave update. We want a cave update, but Mojang hasn't said anything publicly about it yet. Yeah. And then you get the news that the height of the world is doubling or yep. the depth of the world rather is, is doubling. Yep. Um, How did you take that? Were you like, well, time to get back to the pit and dig out all of this stuff again? Was it uh, a a funny moment for you? Or were you just like rolling your eyes going, oh, well, now I have so much more to do.
2: I mean, ultimately, it was a funny moment. It's a video game. I'm just digging holes. It's not a big deal. Did I play it up on stream? Did I play it up on Twitter? (laughs) Did I I whine and moan and cry and, and... act like a little child absolutely i did um yeah. because you got, to, you got to do it for the bit surely. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. but i mean and to be fair the idea of uh the the chunks doubling in size was not so bad what was bad was what they were doubling it with and the fact that it was so much tougher than stone with deep slate As the guy who does nothing but just dig straight down, I've mined a lot of Deep Slate. And I actually (laughs) ended up making a rule in the current season where when I get to zero, I get to go turn on my beacon. Um, Because what that does is it brings Deep Slate basically up to the same speed at which I can break stone without. Because I am using basically best... I'm using efficiency five. You know, I'm breaking three pickaxe um uh netherite you know i've got the best pickaxe that i can possibly have um when the beacon's off i mine stone you know very quickly but obviously not insta mine because again that's not the point of the show but once you get down to the deep slate uh it gets pretty rough and and let me tell you the first chunk that i did when we got into this world i did completely fresh without any special tools Um, because the minute I was done that, I basically went out and played Minecraft for a week to get my resources up so that I did have the right pickaxes and and the materials Mm -hmm. to continue on doing what I was going to do. But that first chunk, I followed every rule to the key, and that meant I could only use the resources I found in the chunk.
0: Oh, God, no. So you're you're mining with, like, stone pickaxes by the end because you run out of
2: diamonds? So I mined the vast majority of that first chunk. It took me... Sixteen hours, I think, wow. to mine out the chunk. Because the other thing that happened in one eighteen, as you both, I'm sure, sure know, is ore distribution changed. And, <laughs> and so
0: you're not finding iron until you, you're like at Y sixteen.
2: You do not find any iron unless you get lucky and you find an iron deposit. Right? Like oh, you man. will find bits and pieces of bits and pieces of iron as you work your way down. Absolutely. Yeah. But nowhere near. Like when you're when you're doing a punch a chunk in 117 or before, there are there are moments where you can go you know 10 20 layers with an iron pickaxe because you're finding more than enough iron. Um, but the minute we moved over to 118, it gets so rough. If you want to punch a chunk from say like 65, which is kind of where our sort of like default starting point is for the punch a chunk for anybody at home who wants to try, you know around y equals 65 is where we want to try to start going all the way down to minus 64 is it it's not great when all you have is stone tools uh mm-hmm.
0: stone stone on deep slate is not fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> as anybody who has tried to start an early game strip mine for diamonds can probably attest yeah I think absolutely at this but uh, yeah, no, that's it's funny, though, the, the adaptations that you have to make and like that you're like, OK, the rules are now officially being changed because, yeah, oh boy. But I mean, you've got beacons running the rest of the time. You've got like, you know, resistance or strength or whatever. So you can deal with mobs coming out of caves and stuff like that, right? You just yeah, you just switch it over to haste when you get down that far. And I suppose at that point, you're still able to mine stuff like tough. And I guess if like y- you just had a geode in one of your chunks recently. So I guess you can kind of mine like the calcite and stuff yep. that's in there but yeah, and you find I patches guess... of granite and andesite down there as well and
2: and yeah, when yeah. you hit those it feels great because you do get the instamine but it's only a a, a
0: little bit um yeah it, it kind of feels like a bit of a treat it is just absolutely he- just helping you deal with the the massive like the the, the rest of the, the crust of the sandwich you've got to eat yeah. yeah
2: exactly
1: i can only imagine the serotonin rush of just like going through deep slate time and time again and all of a sudden. <laughs> You're like whoa, whoa. Yep. You just kind of <laughs> get what away from that? yourself,
2: you punch yourself into yeah. the next wall over, and chat yells at you for cheating, and you're
0: like, no. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's the other thing I wanted to say because ha- having hung out in the chat a couple of times, there's definitely times when you like you dig out a block underneath you by mistake, like you dig something in the yep. next layer because you're like half paying attention, yep. and everyone in the chat is like cheats, cheats! <laughs> and you're like put it back. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that's so funny. Again, the chat culture that comes up around this kind of stuff
1: is great. So what is the reaction uh, both from you and from chat when in this new 118 terrain you are removing a layer and find yourself plummeting into a a cave in the deep slate uh, that is like maybe 20, 30 blocks deep you know, of air. Like, is it is it excitement? Like I'm almost done or is it, oh no, that's a lot of content I'm now losing, you know? Yeah, uh,
2: no, absolutely not. I mean, you'd actually be surprised. Um, I think a lot of people would assume that once you reach a big underground cave of some sort, um, unless we're talking about um, the ancient city, which did definitely save me a lot of time, um, if you run into, say, a um, a lush cave, because of the nature of how those things actually form, it, you, you're kind of like it's kind of sloped down, so you might fall 20 blocks on one end, but it comes back up to maybe five blocks below on the other, and the amount of time that you kind of have to spend maneuvering your way around, like especially like if you come into a, like a ravine halfway through your chunk and it actually like splits your chunk in two. There's all this sort of parkouring back and forth that you have to do to stay to make sure that you stay doing one layer at a time. Um, So it actually ends up generally adding time uh, to the thing. But it does add a level of excitement because there are times where you'll you'll get into a new chunk and you will find yourself with 120 layers of nothing but stone nothing there's no there's no mine shafts there's no caves there's no water holes there's no uh dripstone caves there's nothing um and those do get a little boring um so it's always nice to to come into the features which is you know what talked earlier about you know adding more more variety and, and biomes to the underground um as as this, as the guy who punches chunks i am all for that the more the more things that i could find as i dig down the better i think my show gets and and people get excited right so
0: i honestly found it really cool looking at some of the areas in there and seeing like oh wait that's a huge iron vein in that certain like it's yeah it's it's sort of like you're turning the whole thing into a museum piece like you're seeing a massive cross-section of the world that way yeah and i've always found that aspect fascinating but i think the other thing i find fascinating is the methodical approach you end up taking once you get to bedrock because you're like okay cleanup phase starts you throw down like some redstone dust on a block and then you're like okay from here on out we still have to pick out all of the little individual blocks that are down there amongst the bedrock that you can't mine so like that is that a part of the process that developed really early or was that just like something that came up when you were codifying it into like the competitive version of punch chunk. I don't remember if it was in that initial um,
2: punch back in 2019, but yeah the 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 rule is so you you dig one layer at a time until you get down to um, that first layer of bedrock, which now is I guess minus 60 59. I can't remember. Um, yeah it's ra- it's around then. around then the minute you uncover bedrock, Finish the layer that you have, and now you're you're left with a layer of, of stone and bedrock, and now that rule is out the window. You do not need to continue to punch one layer at a time. You are free to just clean up what is left, hence the cleanup step which I borrowed from Magic the Gathering. Um, that's a, that's a <laughs> that's step. A, I
0: was going to say, there's, yeah. there's got to be like a, a specific reference yeah. that comes in there. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you, we, we should probably talk a little bit of Ma- about Magic the Gathering in the in the post-show. So oh, anybody we can, who <laughs> likes some of that, yep. stick around.
2: Um, so yeah, once you get down there, the redstone that you mentioned, that is to denote the very first piece of bedrock that I uncover. Um, again, it's one of those things that I really don't remember where That one started it would have been sometime in season one i don't remember why i did it i don't remember why i kept doing it um but yeah the idea is that just sort of to commemorate you know that the fact that you're almost done mark the the piece of bedrock that you uncovered first in your chunk with a piece of redstone um and then yeah you move into the uh into the cleanup step and i I i've definitely developed uh a fairly good system for for how to do that and make sure that there's um as few blocks left over as possible um which is i think uh what gave me my win actually in the most recent in the most recent <laughs> the edge of a surge. yeah is is uh is when it comes to the first 120 layers uh you know it's anybody's game but once we get down to bedrock i think i have the upper hand so
1: so with when you get down to bedrock is it is it just what you can see like is there a a referee somewhere that's saying like oh well there's a piece of you know a deep slate underneath four pieces of bedrock that you can't reach so then that's you know a pass on that one like how does that work
2: in the 1v1 uh it's basically the way that it works is once we get down to bedrock it is up to whoever you know one of the two players to say, I think I'm done, basically, like you say. I'm done. And then both of you are basically supposed to stop there, and then penalties are awarded for any blocks left over that are reachable, but anything that is not reachable doesn't count. Um, And actually, when we did the second Punch-A-Chunk, which we did in October, I think, of 2020, um, we actually had somebody go in... To the world beforehand and take all of those blocks out um which uh we didn't end up doing in the in the most recent one we will probably make sure we do it again because if you go and watch the 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 vod of the thing we've actually developed this little overlay that tells you exactly how many blocks are left in the chunk um and it's constantly counting down um nice so having that be as accurate as possible and knowing that if you get down and you say i'm done and it still says one that means that there's one block that you could have got that you didn't get kind of thing so that's how it works there when it comes to the to the the continuous punch a chunk which is again my stream and what i do every every week um it's a lot more lenient you know i get down there i feel like i'm done i say i'm done we all celebrate, we spam emotes in chat, and then I move on to the next one. And then like six months later, I'm I'm
0: walking around and I'm like, oh, hey, a block I missed. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so what, is, what does the end game look like for you as far as season two of uh, Punch a Chunk? Is it going to be based on like the next Minecraft update? Do you have a plan for like, I'm going to do a certain amount of chunks until this area looks a certain way and then move on to a different spot do you have a plan at this point or are you just kind of seat of the pantsing it until something else pops up
2: no i do i do have a plan um i i laid out basically a, a sort of a shape that i was going for um for this season and i knew full well going in that um when 118 came out uh chances are 119 was going to come out fairly soon after and it and, and it ended up doing so Normally in the past, I've just moved on, like season one was in 116, season one and a half was in 117, and it was a much shorter season. We I played in that world for about six months, and then we started season two in 118 December, and we've continued through 119. And at this point, I, I have every intention of staying on the server that we're playing on. Um, I have a number of chunks laid out that I want to do, and I have... Room for expansion, uh, if I want to do that. Or if I want to say, okay, this area is done. This is kind of what I'm calling as my complete base. Um I'm the kind of player who can just dump all of their stuff in a chest at that area, go, you know, ten thousand blocks in a different direction, and just start over like it's a new server. Um mm-hmm. and that might be something that I end up doing. I, I like the idea of having the having the history being able to be visited a little bit easier. Like right now, it's very easy for me to jump into season one or two because they're just world files that I have on my computer that I can show people if they're really keen to see them. But the idea of, of you know, moving on to season three in a year or two years, but being able to just kind of like take a portal back to season two to check it out and have some fun um, definitely is something that I am uh, leaning towards Um, If I decide to keep going, you know, I, I've been doing this for two and a half years now. My best guess has me going for at least another six months to get to sort of the, the point where I think I'm going to be finished this current base. And then we'll evaluate, you know, is, is almost (laughs) three years of punching chunks enough? Do I want to move on to something different? Is this, is this still something
0: that I enjoy? Um, So that's where I'm kind of at with that. And you'll still dip into other stuff as well, right? Because like on Loading Ready Run, there's like a regular Minecraft show on there where you've played like some modded stuff more yes. recently. Like how much of that stuff ends up being part of your Minecraft routine outside of the the regular puncher chunk streams? I mean, so I've been doing a
2: regular weekly Minecraft stream on the Loading Ready Run channel for God, since 2014. Um, so, you know, six years um, every Tuesday morning. Mine o'clock is what it's called. Um, and I do that with, um, my buddy Serge who I've mentioned a couple times and, um, another one of our moderators and, uh, streamer as well named rebellious uno. Um, and we've been playing Minecraft together every Tuesday for, for years now at this point. And we kind of treat that in the same way we kind of do, we don't call them seasons, but we kind of, we'll go do something for, you know, three, four months and then we'll say, okay, we're good. We, we recently wrapped up a, a you know, a very basic playthrough of Ocean Block for instance. Um this Tuesday we're going to start playing literally tomorrow we're going to start playing some Vault Hunters. Um for the next couple weeks or months depending on how long it sort of keeps us engaged and entertained. And then we're talking mm-hmm. about doing a uh, a history of Minecraft playthrough where we start at 1.0 and then every week or two we upgrade up, update the server to 1.1, 1.2 and we just kind of play through all the updates. Um, and that will obviously take us quite a bit of time. We've done like full achievement runs and and other various mod packs over the years. So that's kind of always been up until I started my up until we started the Punch a Chunk two years ago. That was kind of where my Minecraft outlet was. Um, but that's only you know three four hours a week. It's not a lot of Minecraft. Um, so but now I'm playing you know almost every day.
0: Yeah, well, looking forward to seeing where it takes you from there. Uh, that is where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, folks listening. Uh, but if anybody is out there who's got the, the patrons-only RSS feed, you can stick around to hear us talk to James a little bit more in the post-show. But James, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Where can people go if they want to see more of you and what you do? Uh... Well, first
2: off, please be sure to head over to loadingreadyrun.com. That is that is my passion. That is the that is my full-time job. Um, we do a lot of really fun stuff over there, uh, so be sure to check that out. You can find me at twitter.com slash james underscore LRR, uh, twitch.tv slash james underscore LRR. Um, and yeah,
0: that's that's more or less it. Thanks very much. Uh, as for us, you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. We'll make sure to include any screenshots James can fire over to us as well, so you can see some of this in action before you go and check out the real thing. Uh, the music for the show is composed by me. The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at Patreon.com/slash/thespawnchunks to join our community. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat. You can listen to the, sh- the regular show live as it is recorded in Discord. And it also gets us closer to our future milestone goals, whatever they may be. We've also got a monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming up at the end of July. So look forward to that as well. Uh, we're currently at 344 patrons, which is up for from last week. Thank you so much to everybody who has jumped on board. And special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons, Hunter555, Jumbo Sail, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
1: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Find the RSS feed on the And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name
0: is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in season two of the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
1: Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, Stephen ESC and I talked about Miss Marvel on Disney+. Plus. That episode is still in the editing hopper, but you can see that coming your way this week. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media and joelduggan on Twitch, where I stream from The Citadel at least three times a week. Thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite so there are infinite chunks to punch